Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer. Now, before we go on, let's just take a little bit and let's define intercession because it's going to be really important to understand that as we approach this next chapter. Okay, I did a search because his version of it seemed a little suspect to me. We talked okay. about that. Yeah. So I looked up the word from the Greek and uh, it's used in the New Testament as a verb five times. Okay. okay? In the first one, it's just simply Festus, who was an authority in the Roman Empire, speaking to Agrippa, and uh, said the whole Jewish people petitioned me. So that would not be interceding to God. It's one civil authority petitioning another. Some people are petitioning, asking for their grievances to be dealt with. Okay. So... That would be Acts 25, 24 doesn't apply. It's a different usage. Okay. Different context. As far as theological usages, it's used in Romans 8, 27, Romans 8, 34, Romans 11, 2, and then Hebrews 7, 25. Okay. The, the two in Romans 8 and the one in Hebrews 7, 25, are by far the most theologically significant. All right, let's read some of those. Okay, so let's start with Romans 8, 27. Okay. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay. Now, let me get my Bible out so I can read the entire context. Last, last session, we were encouraging people that they should read what Romans 8 says and take it seriously because God cannot lie. Yes. And if you're one who will dismiss anything that doesn't seem right to you because you don't like it, or because someone whose theology you don't like taught it at some point in church history. I'm not asking you to join someone's theology. I'm asking you to believe what God said. Okay. Yes. And if we're not willing to do that, then we have to be very careful because the Dutch sheets of the world will come along and take advantage of you. Absolutely. And you know, he, sounds so personable and charming and yeah, it would be very easy to be deceived if we didn't have a solid theological yeah. footing. Beware somebody with all these stories about how great they are. Right. Seems disarming and funny, but it's not going to help us. I'll start reading with verse 26. Okay. In the same way the spirit also helps our weakness. For we, don't, we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself 
intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, who's doing this, us or God? God. Right. Yeah. Because if it's groanings too deep for words, and we don't know even exactly what we need, is there some information that if we had it, would cause everything in the whole world to work together for our good and our ultimate glorification? No. We don't we have that we, now. No, we just have to trust God. Right. So the spirit himself. So this isn't saying that we have to tell Jesus by get some revelation and then tell Jesus what exactly it is we want to have happen in something that we're trying to do. It doesn't right. say that. No. We don't need secret information from the world of the spirits in order to tell God how to help us. Right. We need to have access to the throne. We'll see this. Okay. He intercedes for us with groaning to dream for words. So we don't know exactly what that's all about other than God does. He cares for us. He keeps us. And he will get us to the right place at the right time by his grace. Okay, yeah. So verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit. By the way, the Bible, who is the heart knower? God. God knows the heart. Yes. And we do not. Right. And we need to realize that the heart truly is deceitfully wicked. Yeah. yeah. Look, at, look that up in. The book of Jeremiah. Yeah. What we're called to do is trust God who knows the heart and can alone can cleanse the heart. Yeah. So he searches the heart, knows the hearts, knows what the mind of the spirit is. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, what's the result of this? We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, the preeminent one. Yes. The unique one. So what we've noticed, and then it talks about the ultimate glorification of believers as it goes on. Now, if we look down to verse 34 of Romans 8 in the same chapter, it says this, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was also raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So we've learned already in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and in us. Okay. If we know Christ, that Christ intercedes for us. And from the context and the rest of Romans 8, the point is that we're safe. Yes. We're safe. So, and, and that God is the sovereign cause behind all of that. 
Right. We're called to believe. Okay. What do we believe? His promises. Yes. Okay. So when I say this to people and they just don't get it, they don't want to hear it. They'd rather be confused or they'd rather be naive and think, well, I'll just, you wouldn't believe some of the things I hear people say that they think is better than believing what God said. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What causes that? I think part of it here, only God knows the heart, but I know what is the problem we all have. And that is limiting the valid and viable outcome to only what happens in this life. That's a good point. Because there is a lot more going on than what we see, and we can't make judgments based on what's going on in our life right now or the condition of the world around us. God has a greater good in, in view in all of this as well. Right. So the promise is that we'll be glorified. But if you don't think that that's meaningful, that there's an eternity, that God will uh, ultimately conform us the image of Christ and keep us and they will participate in the eternal kingdom and so on. If we don't believe that or even care, then we're afraid things won't go well now. Right. Now there's an interesting illustration of this in Luke chapter five. Okay. I keep okay. running across that as I spent now a lot of my life studying Luke Acts as a two-volume work. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus was speaking and some very um, industrious people had a paralyzed man that they wanted Jesus to heal. So they managed to get through this thatched roof and lowered a guy down on a pallet. Okay. And okay. that's in, I think it's in Luke 5, right around verse 22. And what happens? Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Right. Remember that? Yep. So what was their response? Well, they were outraged for, for what, if I remember correctly, who's this who says he can forgive sins? Yeah. They didn't really concern himself at that point with forgiveness of sins. Let me look it up here. Okay. And... This illustrates why, in my opinion, I think it makes sense knowing our tendency to unbelief, which is the sin that so easily besets us. Yes. That's why we would think forgiveness of sins, that's all you have? Right. Is eternity a meaningful concept? It needs to be. It needs to be. Okay, here's Luke 5, and here's this paralytic. And um, let's just read it. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform, perform healing. So that was God's intent. And some men were carrying on a bed, man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, 
They went up on the roof, let him down through the tiles with his stretcher in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins, but God alone? Right. Jesus, aware of their reasonings, important word, theologismos. Okay. It's a key word, especially in Luke Acts. I was preaching on it this last Sunday as well. Their reasoning, only God knows the heart. Jesus is God who knows the heart, God incarnate. Yes. So he knows what they're thinking. He said, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But here's what he said. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And immediately got up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Wow. Now, in the, the context of Dutch Sheets um, teaching about intercession, how does that work? He seems to have taken a very narrow view of what intercession is, which is what we would almost call mediation. And his analogy is kind of a courtroom analogy. I hire a lawyer and the lawyer represents me and intercedes between me and the judge or me and the jury or me and the prosecutor. But that's yeah, not so the only possible definition of intercession. So according to Sheets, we release God to do something. Right. That otherwise would not happen. Yep. So in, in, on page 45, he, the most spiritual person, he has this elitism. Who's the most spiritual person? And what does that mean? Right. Usually with these guys, it's the one who has the best miracle guidance stories. Yes. We were talking about that, that, our, that issue uh, 98 I wrote about this. Okay. Always the top leaders have the best stories. Ours are pathetic. Yes. So as he's defining intercession here in his book, one thing that really stood out to me was that he makes the claim that Adam was God's intercessor or mediator on earth, which I believe probably goes back to this dominionist theology but can we make that claim? Is there anywhere in scripture that says Adam was the intercessor? Kind of sounds like almost, okay, so Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Was Adam a mediator of a covenant? Did he intercede before God? No, and I've asked people about that. I know some, some reformed theology say there was a covenant of works. Okay. But I ask, okay, where is the term covenant? And what is this covenant of works about? Right. I don't see it in scripture. I think it's contrived in order to make their theology sound like it covers all the bases. Yes. Okay. As far as there being an intercessor, and that was Adam, 
The Bible isn't telling us that. Right. That's it's just we can't find that in Genesis. No, and if you read on in Dutch Sheets' book, he claimed that it was Adam's responsibility to keep the serpent away from Eve. Right. But the Bible doesn't say that. Exactly. Now, here's my advice. Do not import ideas into Genesis that are not there. Right. And that happens all the time. Yes. And it's just not there. Yeah. And so learn what we need to learn and don't speculate about what's not revealed. Okay. Now, according to Sheets, God is needy and he needs somebody. Yes. This is on page 49. Here's, here's what he says about himself. Okay. So he had a conversation in the throne room. And he's there asking God. So in his story, I answer, because Jesus interceded or mediated for them. Father, I'm asking, based on what he did, and he needs a, a human on earth to ask for him. Because he is in heaven now. So he taught me, I'm asking for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in Tibet. So this was about some revelation he got about Tibet. So somehow that she has access to the throne room. And that one, that's so common. I read an yeah. article about that too called Visiting Heaven and Hell. If you haven't been to the throne room yet, now he claims that is more through revelation. Some actually went there, like Jesse Duplantis, I think I wrote about. Right. And so whatever happened to Paul, as narrated in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it was unlawful for people to even utter. Yes. But now they tell everything. Yep. You know, all these things that ordinary Christians cannot know. And so they have access to special revelation and they're the ones that speak authorization to the throne room for something to happen that they think needs to happen. Yeah. I'm actually going to back up on page 49 a little bit okay. to the beginning of this. Uh, so <laughs> this conversation sure. with God it says the father could reply, how can I do this? They are sinners. They worship false gods, which is really worshiping Satan. And besides, they don't even want me to do this. They themselves have never asked. And then that's when he responds with, I answered because Jesus interceded or mediated for them. And I wrote in my margin here, God seems really clueless in this conversation, as if God doesn't know the gospel. Yeah, the Great Commission is up for grabs theologically. Yeah. Unless we go by scripture alone. And I yeah. shared that story about the forgiveness of sins that is in Luke 5. Okay. Yeah. The faith teachers say, well, the power's there. Somebody had to release it. Right. He but, says that quite a bit through this book. Right. But the point in Luke 5, because of where it's going, the, the earlier people that spoke by the Spirit say that Messiah is going to be for the rise and fall of many in Israel. Okay. Jerusalem rejects the prophets, judgment's coming, and so on. And the real issue is forgiveness of sins. So that shows up in Luke 5. 
And at the very end, when Jesus is dying, there's a thief on the cross. He says, today you'll be in paradise with me. Yes. Because he believed. Right. So this idea that God needs us to get specific revelations to tell uh, Jesus in the throne room what needs to happen in Tibet. Where do we get that idea? It's a backwards view of what intercessory prayer is. But maybe some of that is unfamiliar to our listeners. So before we close, let's just actually define what is the biblical view of intercessory prayer. We pray for each other according to the, what it says in the Bible. If there's any sick, James, we, we pray for each other. We're not telling God what to do. We're showing our love and concern for one another. Yes. And the I, word for intercession is really not what's used in that context, but just the word for prayer. Yes. Pray for us because we don't know these things. See, in Dutch sheets and other people's theology, which is unbiblical, we need special revelation knowledge to get anything done. Right. Okay. In our understanding, this, according to the simple teaching of scripture, we gather and pray for one another. And there are a lot of things we don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. We don't know exactly all the details of what God's going to use. We don't know what result is going to happen from us preaching Christ, praying for each other. We don't know every outcome. Right. We don't have some hotline to heaven where we say the right words and then God's obligated to do what we say. Yes. No, she implies that in his stories. Yeah. No. So looking look at, at this Tibet situation, though, and, and I wrote this in the margin of my notes here, too. God already knew who was his in Tibet and who he was going to call and who was going to be saved. He didn't need to have this conversation with Dutch Sheets to make that happen. He, Dutch Sheets didn't release God to save anybody. God knows his own. We pray because it's a blessing for yeah. ourselves to pray for others. We pray because we care about people. We pray because we know God hears us. But our prayers don't release God to do anything. Um. Prayer is an act of humility and dependence on God. Amen. Okay. And it's a privilege to know that people in the body of Christ care for us and that we care for one another. And at certainly times in my life, um, a lot of people prayed, not because I deserve anything, but because, I, I mean, I, there's been times where I thought, I don't know, maybe people are sick of me or whatever, but a lot of people prayed and I'm still here. Yes. And God uses prayers to show us that people care for us and remind us that we need each other and that there are no popes or bishops or archbishops or holy men that have some insight that we don't have. Okay. We need each other. Right. Now the word for intercession 
in this context, as far as the, well, the, the one that he mentions as a noun, but there's also the verb, it's what God does. Yes. See? The spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It doesn't say the saints got a revelation about that will and told Jesus what to intercede for. Right. Romans 8.27. Romans 8.34. Who's at the right hand of God? Who's interceding for us? Do we have to tell him the details? We don't know what we need. Yes. We don't know how we to pray as we ought. Uh, Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And that's based on Melchizedek from Psalm 110 and verse 4. Okay. And it's based on Jesus' session at the right hand of the Father, as revealed in Psalm 110, verse 1, the most often cited and alluded to verse in the entire New Testament that comes out of the Old. Okay. It's the proof that Jesus is reigning from heaven. Yes. And the church age is about us. It's about the authority of Scripture. It's about us depending on him, preaching the gospel, praying for one another, teaching the word of God to one another. And we don't know how long the church age will go. Right. Okay. And it's not about new revelations beyond Scripture because none of them are inerrant, infallible, or binding. Yes. So I mentioned that issue 98. At some point, we should redo that one. I'd forgotten about it until I thought, I'm going to go look that up when I was seeing Sheets doing this. Yes. So when you hear Bill Johnson or Mike Bickle or Todd Bentley or whatever claim that they get these mighty revelations, and then all these glorious things happen. I won't believe any of it. Right. I will not. I've already been there, been abused by that sort of thing. To my shame, listen for a while until I realize how come certain people, their revelations are always binding, but others in the body of Christ are considered pawns and they have nothing to contribute. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's like the pyramid structure of Christianity. Yeah, it is. And so um, look up Hebrews 7.25, those that are hearing, listening to this or watching on YouTube. The word saved in the that's a good translation. Not only saved forever, but saved to the greatest extent. Okay. And that includes eternity. That includes a great salvation. And how do we draw near to God? Through him. Yes. Jesus, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Here's a simple belief. Jesus Christ is the high, one high priest. He, he intercedes for us. He's a priest forever. Psalm 110 and verse 4. And we draw near to God through him not through personal revelations. We have the ability to draw near because of the forgiveness of sins. We're here to preach the gospel, to pray for one another, 
and provide the means of grace, which is the word of God, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and so on, in order that people may know that we're part of this kingdom that is to come in the future. Amen. These grand, glorious schemes that amount to he must decrease or I must increase so that he decreases. They fail. They always fail. They failed in the past. They'll fail in the future. Yes. So don't listen to them. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.